Throughout the Giro d'Italia, Whoop is partnering with EF Education First EasyPost and VLON to bring you a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes physiologically to race a Grand Tour. Whoop is providing live heart rate data during the race and recovering and sleep data after the stages. Whoop isn't just for the pros, though. Whether you're an avid cyclist or just getting started, Whoop helps you better understand your body. And it's not just another fitness tracker. It measures loads of metrics and vital signs, including heart rate variability, resting heart rate, daily activity, and a full breakdown of your sleep. Whoop takes all that data and provides you with personalized recommendations and feedback so you can accomplish your goals. Know when you should go big and when you should go for a light spin with Whoop. Whoop just released its all-new 4.0. It's even smaller and smarter, designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. Go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter code VELONEWS at checkout to save 15% off today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the VELONEWS podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, here in Boulder, Colorado, joined today from the tippity-top of Mount Etna in southern Italy, our man, Andrew Hood. How are you, Hoodie? Good to see you. You look bundled up and cold. How you doing, Ben? Yeah, we're up here at about uh, not quite 2,000 meters. Not quite at the very top of the Etna volcano, actually. Uh, it's about two-thirds of the way up. There's actually a ski area on the top of this mountain, on top of this volcano. So uh, you can actually take chairlifts up even during the summertime. Go to the very top of Etna. There's quite a few craters of active fumaroles and kind of that, some volcanic activity, but no eruptions today for the Giro d'Italia. <laughs> yeah, so today on today's pod, we're talking all Giro d'Italia and the 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 triumphs, the travails, and the travel that is the Tour of Italy. And you know, it's interesting here you talk about the volcano there at the Prussians. One of the, my favorite things about bike racing is how it takes us literally and uh, metaphorically all around the globe and we get to experience places that we wouldn't otherwise uh, maybe even think about much less travel to. And the Giro this year, of course, started in Budapest, Hungary. Um, some you know, longtime fans may be aware that some of the Grand Tours will uh, venture into other countries, but it seems like we're going even further afield this year than in the past. I've got the Tour de France this year starting in, in Denmark. I'm curious to hear your take as to, you know, let's talk about what the, what the, what this means for fans and for the writers and fundamentally like why, why this is happening. Like why did the tour of Italy start in Hungary? Yeah. It's been an interesting trend that's gone back uh, way over the last couple of decades. I mean, back in the day, you know, the Giro or the tour might dip into a neighboring country. You know, the Giro started in Italy a couple of times, excuse me, in France a couple of times. Uh, the Tour de France would dip into Belgium, maybe up into Holland. I think went over to uh, England uh, a few times. But it's really been uh, the last uh, 10 or 12 years that it's really been the Giro at the cutting edge of this kind of trend to kind of take the, what they call the Grande Parcenza, the big start to kind of these far-flung uh, places. And in fact, Copenhagen in 2010 was really one of the first ones that really kind of went beyond the reach of just, you know, a couple hours drive or a short flight where uh, the race kind of pushed the limit. And every time they've done it, they've learned things. They've learned how to work it logistically, how to move around all the race vehicles. And then that's allowed them. They went to Belfast 2014 
went to Israel, you remember, in 2018. That was the first time any Grand Tour started outside of Europe. And then, of course, Budapest was supposed to be two years ago, but that was delayed by the COVID uh, pandemic the last two years, and we finally got it up this year. But you're right, it's, it's been, uh, it's interesting. It's a challenge for the teams. It's a challenge for the riders. But it's actually been a boon for these races because it's a great source of additional income. You know, uh, these big starts, these, uh, these uh, grand départs, you know, they'll charge anywhere between five to $15 million to the host community. And that's straight into the pocket of these race organizers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, racers aren't necessarily seeing any of this directly, and but the you know race fans get to see like the visual spectacle of of new places and new roads, which is you know a big part of the draw of professional road cycling. What was your take on on being in Budapest? Did you uh, was that your first time in the capital city? Yeah, it was interesting. Actually, actually, I was here way back in the nineties uh, when I first came over to Europe, and I was only here for like a day or two when I did come that time. And to come back this, this past weekend, it was just spectacular. It's really one of the greatest European cities I've been to in quite a while. Just the whole scene there was real vibrant, just, just packed full of uh, cafes, coffee shops, bars, restaurants, museums, shops. Just a real kind of uh, funky, fun city, really surprising right down in the city center there. Absolutely spectacular. I mean, a historic city. You know, full of uh, uh, you know, fantastic buildings and cultural sites. But it was, you know, I was talking to a lot of the uh, riders, and uh, when you'd ask them on the record, it would be, you know, "What do you think about these uh, far-flung uh, places to start a race?" Mm-hmm. And on the record, they say, oh, "It's great. We love to come to a new place. It's a chance to <laughs> bring the sport to new fans. You know, we get to see a new place." You know, one writer said, "You know, I would have never had come to Budapest had it not been for the Giro." Yes. Then you turn the microphone off, the typical, and they'll start saying, well, you know, uh, it is a hassle to travel. You know, it's an additional travel leg. You're getting there and getting back to Italy, you know, for the race. And then in this situation, you know, we had the travel day yesterday, and then boom, right into a really hard, you know, beyond category summit finish mm-hmm. the very next day after travel day. There was some grumbling there. And also people were kind of grumbling about, the racing and the roads in Hungary. We kind of saw this um, also in Israel where, you know, no one knows the, knows the roads there. You know, they're not there going to training camps. They've never raced in these countries. So really in the first stage uh, of, of Friday, then of course we had the time trial Saturday and the stage on Sunday, they really did not race. Those were really easy days in the saddle. You know, we had a drone hopper, John Savio's team, Sent a couple of letters off the road, but it was real piano. It was real easy racing because they didn't want to take a chance really racing hard on unknown roads. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the irony is that, that the roads in Hungary are much better than they are here in Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was surprised you know, seeing some of the, you know, the power outputs from the riders on those opening stages of, yeah, just averaging like 120 watts just to cruise, which was, yeah, remarkable even for, for the flat stages. And then, yeah, the Sicily, what that's, that's a pretty good haul from uh, from Hungary. I mean, the, a stage race is a logistical brain damage in the best of scenarios when you're going point to point just by 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 team bus, right? And like add in the planes, trains, and automobiles, and yeah, that's a lot of uh, physiological toll on riders being cooped up. But yeah, the, the Sicilian 
I don't even know if they're cobbles, but like the big, big, uh, like concrete blocks. Not the not the smoothest things in the world to be racing on. No, the, the roads in Southern Italy are quite notorious for just having just random potholes and just uneven road surfaces and big cracks and fractures in the road. Um, typically, they'll try to bring the road, bring the race over roads that have been recently paved or treated. But I tell you, man, just driving around, you know, we kind of flew in yesterday, got a rental car, driving around Catania, which is the seaside city here. And then I would not want to do a prologue in the urban streets. Of <laughs> it's like that. But it's been interesting, you know, this, this uh, trend of taking the Grand Tourist further and further away. There's always been that promise and that allure of bringing the Grand Tours to places like uh, the United States, you know, as we talked a few years ago. And evidently, they were pretty close to bringing the uh, Giro to uh, New York. Uh, there were talks of bringing the Tour de France to French Canada, uh, even to Guadeloupe, islands in the Caribbean. Uh, sources confirmed that RCS is already in talks to bring the Giro to Turkey, perhaps as soon as next year. And they want to maybe even take it out to UAE. There's a lot of ties between some of these countries already. Or Eritrea, bring the Vuelta perhaps to Morocco. So the footprint is expanding with Grand Tour Racing. And each time they do this, they learn how to do the logistics better. Like, for example, in Budapest, they had the whole infrastructure team there on the ground. And what they have here in Sicily, of course, is a completely different setup in the sense of, you know, they didn't really have to fly all that equipment and gear from one point to the other. So who knows? Maybe someday we'll see the tour in New York City. How good would that be? Yeah, yeah that would be wild. One thing that is kind of amusing me is seeing the, the behind the scenes of how these uh, World Tour teams deal with, with the transfers and the juxtaposition of how, on one hand, these athletes need to take utmost care of their bodies and recover as quickly and as soon and as thoroughly as possible, right? So you have a picture in your head of these guys and gals having their legs up, wearing the space legs, having a you know, recovery smoothie immediately after. But then often the reality is, you know, it's 4 a.m. and the whole team's standing in the security line at the airport, you know, schlepping all their bags and will be on their feet for hours and then sitting in coach seats. And like, it's, it's not ideal uh, recovery nor preparation for a stage, like you said, of a guest straight up Mount Etna. Oh, it's a bike racing is a hard sport, not just on the bike for these for these athletes. We've got uh, we got a good grab with American Lawson Craddock uh, talking about some of those things. And this was, as you say, this was an on the on the record interview. Um, so he's given his perspective, uh, you know, being part of Simon Yates's team. Simon won the time trial and. Uh, Lawson has a unique perspective as an American writer inside the Giro, helping Simon out. So let's go to that interview now. It kind of feels like this race really hasn't even uh, truly started yet. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, so far it's been a, a, a yeah, pretty pretty great start for us. Uh, pretty special racing here in Hungary. Um, I don't think any of us really expected, yeah, the sheer amount of fans that actually would came out and support us, which, uh, which has been really, really nice. Uh, obviously, yesterday was a great day for the team with uh, both Yates and Sobrero having really, really great rides. And, uh, yeah, kind of getting that stage win early takes a, a little bit of pressure off for the, the, the rest of the race. But also, I think it just confirms the, uh, 
the level that, that the team is currently at, which is a, a big confidence booster going into going into the Giro. What's it like racing in front of these big crowds again? You know, last two years have been yeah. confinement. Yeah, honestly, it's a bit of a shock. You know, you, you hear that wall of noise and, and, and nothing else really replicates it and uh, can prepare you for it. So obviously it's, uh, it's definitely pretty encouraging and uh, motivating to, to have that support again. Um, yeah, this is only the beginning. You know, I think all of us are looking forward to you know, getting uh, getting out of Hungary all uh, safely and uh, getting into Italy and uh, yeah, getting just getting the Giro going. You know, these uh, kind of foreign starts, Budapest. You know, they're going to different places, Israel, different. You know, up in uh, Europe, other Europe, yeah. Copenhagen this year. Is it too far, too much for the riders, and how does it affect you guys? Does it impact you very much during the race? Yeah, I mean. At the end of the day, we all have to do it, you know. So I, I wouldn't say that it affects affects us any more than the, than the next guy. And, and everyone has to deal with the, you know, the same amount of travel, the, you know, the the everything to to get from one place to another. But yeah, I, I think it is quite cool that we can see a different part of the world. You know, I, I probably, you know, cycling is only uh, is probably one of the only things that would bring me to Hungary in my life. And uh, the fact that I'm here and I get to see a different country is uh, is pretty special. So um, obviously, yeah, it's been a really enjoyable start for us. And uh, the weather's weather's been great and uh, race has been really nice. And uh, yeah, I'm actually really happy that we, we've come here and started here. What's your role going to be in Boston during this general? Uh, I mean, already Simon's having great legs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I think it's no secret that Simon is our is our guy for the GC, and and you know I'm I'm here to you know be there for the team and uh, help put him in the best possible position to to be as high up in the GC at the at the end of the the three weeks. So um, I think my role will probably be just taking a lot of win over the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, I think we have a pretty pretty dialed and uh, yeah team and and. and Everyone more or less has their their knows their exact role and, and, and where they can play to, to support our leader. So, um, yeah, I think it's pretty special to, to be a part of a team like that. You know, coming into the Giro, knowing that if everything goes well and, and you know you make it through safely and healthy, you know you have a, a good shot to actually do something special. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of motivation uh, just in training and, and yeah, the lifestyle coming into this event. So I'm just happy to really excited to be here. How big of a surprise was yesterday? I mean, I know he wanted to have a good ride, but to win, yeah. is that a surprise for the team? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, the, the course obviously suited him really well, you know, really short punch, and he's a guy that, you know, can make those, you know, quick snappy accelerations and, and obviously, you know, climb at the end. He's, he's going to have one of the fastest times out of the entire race. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's he had a really great ride at Paranese earlier this year um, and, a, and a really similar day where, uh, he was he was really quite close to the, to the win. Um, obviously, it's been a couple of months since then. A lots lots happened, but you know it's it's been a lot of focus uh, on this team of just dialing in the the time traveling. Um, you know, I think we obviously I, w I wasn't on the team last year, but it, it seemed like there's been a huge jump. You know, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with um, you know special partners coming in, Giant Kadex, and and. You know, a guy like Marco Panati, who is our, our TT specialist on the team, you know, putting a lot of effort into making sure that we truly have, you know, one of, if not the fastest uh, setups for, for time traveling in, in the entire Peloton. And I think yesterday was just confirmation of that. And everyone talks about, you know, the Giro's decided last week, we have that uh, next week and yeah. the Blockhouse. How big are those first two big clubs? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
you you look at this Giro and it's just kind of sprinkled throughout the entire two weeks. First two weeks is, is a lot of really, really challenging stages. Um, you know, I think this team and, and Yates has had really great success on, success on Edna before. Um, and, and, and Blockhouse is, is maybe not someone so was a climb we've done, uh, you know, a lot, but, you know, it's, it's going to be extremely selective. Um, you know, so the, I think this... I don't even know what to call it. This second half of the first week will will really really set the tone for for the Giro as a whole, and then uh, yeah, it's quite backloaded with some some really heavy stages. So um, yeah, but I, I think at the moment, you know, you just the old cliche of just taking that as it comes day by day, and uh, yeah, seeing you know making sure first step is just getting out of hungry safely and, and healthy. So just quickly, what happened with that grab? Was it Soxabay? Well, when you fell off, when you fell after the side end, yeah, what happened? You equipped the TV cable, or what happened? Yeah, so no, I was uh, leaving the team presentation after uh, before E three uh, E three Classic. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things you do a thousand times, and I'll do another thousand times in my career. And uh, those those covers that go over the the cables that run from the presentation and whatnot, just when I lifted my back wheel over it, it just rocked me over, and, and I kind of landed with uh, just my hand directly underneath my chest. And yeah, it was a small fracture in the hand, and then a couple of bruised ribs. And but at the end of the day, of course, it got me out of those races. But I was able to basically get back on Zwift uh, like two days later and, and at that point start especially like specific preparations for, for the Giro. Alrighty, good. So I know you were pretty excited to race the Classics this yeah. year. I must have been a bummer to miss out on those. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was definitely a challenge to, to, to overcome but at the end of the day it's just, yeah, honestly the spring was, was really quite tough getting COVID after after Saudi Arabia was actually way worse than I expected. Just trying to come back from it took, took quite a long time. And uh, yeah, just for most of the spring, I actually felt like I was just battling just to, to get back to a normal level. Um, so when that happened, yeah, it was, it was tough and I was, I was bummed to miss out, but it was also kind of offered me the a chance to just hit the hard reset button on the spring and, and turn the page and, and uh, start the you know preparations for the Giro. Thank you for that interview, Andy. It's always great having you on the ground. There's things you can, many things you can get by being there at the race that you certainly cannot get trying to, to phone it in, as it were, uh, following the race from, from the internet. That's a good stuff that can be found that way. Give us some good stuff about what's happened thus far in the race. You know, we're, we're recording here on Tuesday evening, four stages in, three stages in Hungary, and then the first Etna stage in uh, in Italy. Stage one, a uphill sprint finish. Uh, walk us through the, the the last 30 meters of that. There was a, a bit of action and excitement there. What happened in stage one? Yeah, it was, it was a good finish on the top of a uh, kind of a cat floor climb up to a castle above the Danube. You know, just pretty much dead flat the whole day. Bunch hits the base of that climb. Then, you know, the big question there was, uh, were the pure sprinters going to be able to make it up this climb? And it was a lot steeper than I think people expected. You know, once they saw that, most of the riders had a chance to inspect the course and ride it. And uh, so that last bit of that race was pretty exciting because some of the big sprinters were still there. and course none other than Matthew Vanderpool you know exploded kind of from the back of that lead bunch with about 500 meters to go uh Biniam Gourmet the African rider 
both of them were coming up and uh, Caleb Ewan, who really kind of defied expectations, was still there. And he said that he kind of was in the wrong gear, kind of in the wrong place. And those guys were coming past him and he was trying to jump back out into the middle of the road and just clipped his uh, front wheel into Benny M's, uh, Gary May's back wheel and down he went. That was a big blow for uh, Lotto Sudol because uh, Caleb really thought he was, you know, and he has great legs to win that stage. And then going into the stage three sprint, you know, all eyes were on the big uh, fight between Cavendish and uh, Caleb Ewan. And man, Cavendish just reminded everyone you can never write that guy off. You know, Quickstep came to, to the Giro with a pretty strong leadout team. They don't have a GC rider here. They have a few guys that can hunt stages, but they had a good four or five guys just for Cavendish, and they gave him a red carpet lead out and Cav, man, bounced to uh, stage win. Yeah, number number 16. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, his first one since like 2013 or something, so it, it had been quite some time. And yeah, Quick Step set him up well, although they set him up a bit short. You know, he had to start his sprint from like nearly 300 meters out or something like this, so it wasn't... Uh, wasn't a perfect carpet ride, but the, yeah, hats off that he was able to to hold it that long, that far out. You know, lots of uh, big hugs and smiles for all his teammates after that. Like the the Cavendish celebration has been a um, a steady thing throughout his you know decade plus uh, years of winning sprints. It's, it's quite quite the personality. Another another personality we we I enjoy watching is. Uh, Mr. Mao, Miguel Angel Lopez, who has switched teams but has not switched personalities, and he was he was not hugging and and, and laughing uh, today. He, he he bailed on the stage. What's what what's going on? You know, you've what happened there, and then maybe as a bit of context, you can uh, talk about another time uh, Lopez climbed off his bicycle at a head scratching moment. Indeed, yeah, we were looking. Uh, we're still poking around, trying to figure out what exactly is going on. I spoke with Joe Lombowski just at the uh, Dombrowski at the finish line today, and he wasn't even sure what was going on. That's his teammate. Yeah, yeah. teammate at Astana. And he said that the team had given him the green light really to go into the breakaway today. So something must have been up because uh, otherwise they'd be riding uh, 100% for Lopez because he was their GC guy for this race. And uh, the word they're putting out is that there was some sort of hip injury. Mm. That Lopez's uh, hip was not feeling right the last couple of days, and uh, during the early in the stage today, he said he could not put any power into his leg. Decided to step off, and uh, you know, like you said, but it's not the first time he's done that. Of course, in very different circumstances. I guess today is more of an injury-related issue. Of course, I re- remember last year at the Vuelta España when, in the penultimate road stage, he started the, this day third place overall. Race blew up in the final hour of racing. He got gapped out by his team. It was up the road, and uh, Lopez just kind of blew a gasket and uh, lost the plot, as they say. Mm-hmm. Stepped off the bike and decided to uh, quit the Welta with, uh, you know, really about 30 k's to go. And then the next day was a pretty short time trial. So after three weeks of working for the team, uh, he decided he wasn't going to have it anymore and, and quit the race. And then, of course, the team quickly uh, didn't want to have that quit guy him. around. The team very much longer. <laughs> cut him loose and went back to Astana, and now the same thing has happened. A little bit different circumstances, though. For sure, for sure. Now, now uh, walk us through what today's stage means for the rest of the race. What, what, what surprises, if any, did you see 
going up Mount Etna and who was who was there at the at the critical moments and who was off the back. And we saw Tom Dumoulin who did well, didn't win the time trial, but was, seemed to be back to his old form in the time trial. Was not uh, lighting it up on the on the mountaintop today. What else did we see out there? Yeah, you're right, Ben. I mean, Dumoulin lost a lot of time. Uh, his teammate uh, Tobias Foss, uh, Norwegian young rider. Um, we had a story up on the news the other day about he, you know him. He won the Tour of Avenir. He's dreaming of winning the Tour de France uh, sometime in the future. He was ninth last year. He gave up two minutes for Yombo Visma. Uh, Vincenzo Nibali, after hearing uh, that his teammate Lopez uh, dropped out, Nibali got gapped out by about two minutes today as well. Even though he really wasn't here coming racing for GC, everyone's speculating that this is Nibali's last tour, Giro, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And he um, just you know wants to kind of win a stage, go out uh, with something big as Palmares. Um, and then also, um, you know, we really saw Ineos you know, really controlling the stage today. Carapaz comes here as uh, the, the team leader. And, uh, you know, Ineos Grenadier looks, looks like the room, uh, Fortress Room is back and forth when they really dominated the race. I talked to Richard Cork, the finish line today, and he was saying the rider he thinks is strong is Roman Barbet, and he was right in the bunch there at the finish coming with the favorites. So, I mean, coming out of these first couple of days, it's always hard to see who's really, really good. But we did get a pretty good clue of who's not good. Yeah. And uh, kind of you get the feeling of Carapaz, uh, Yates, and Bardet are kind of the top names right now. I mean, this next week is not easy. Stage seven's a really hard day. Then we have Blockhouse on the Sunday. The blo- Blockhouse comes, comes after that. Yeah, so you know, we're heading, trending uh, northward up from Sicily, uh, north up to the, uh, the Blockhouse stage, and then you know, winding our way counterclockwise around the country. So, so you think, will, will Blockhouse be another battle, decisive battle for the GC? Oh, I would definitely think so. It's, it's a much harder climb than even today. Um, after tomorrow's stage, it's a sprint stage. Everyone jumps on a ferry, goes across the Straits of Messina, and then we're into the toe of Italy. A couple more days of uh, flats, kind of some good sprint stages again. State seven is a very hard stage. I think it has more than 5,000 vertical meters just up and down all day. A lot of speculation there. It could be one of those kind of trap kind of style racing or just a day where everyone is going to have to be really on top form to stay in the front bunch. Then another transition day, a sprint stage in Napoli. And then the Blockhouse, it's kind of one of the famous climbs in, in uh, southern Italy. It's, uh, there was a famous stage there with Pantani and Mertz back in the day. And uh, much steeper. And that has like a cap one leading straight into Blockhouse. So there's going to be a lot of carnage on those on those two climbs. I think by then you really have a strong sense of who are the clear favorites for victory because Byron is still kind of there. Lambert was there. Uh, a few other riders, you know, we just haven't really seen them do very much yet. A lot of riders were kind of tucked into that GC group today. So, but still, it was pretty small. It was probably about 15 riders from that front kind of GC group. So, I think by Blackhouse, we'll have a very clear picture about it. Who's going to be able to? Yeah, absolutely. We will look forward to it. Now, Andy, it seems like we are are, are pushing the the limits of the Wi-Fi there atop Etna. So I'm just gonna we're gonna leave it there for now. Not push our luck any further. Uh, let you go get out of the press room, get some get some dinner. Hopefully, something's still open. Uh, we appreciate your reporting from on the ground. Safe travels, and we will speak with you soon. All right, guys. Ciao. 
Ciao, hui. And listeners, thank you for listening to the Vel News podcast. We will catch you next week. And until then, ciao, ciao. ciao.